0: DogCast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 148 of DogCast Radio. In this show, we have some practical advice from canine first aid expert, Kerry Rhodes. The big thing with a first aid kit is that you've got to be able to think outside the box and think, what can I use all these different
1: things for? very easy to fall into a trap of thinking that each thing has just
0: one use, and that's not necessarily the case. Later in the show, you can hear an extract from Kerry's book, plus we have the Dogcast Radio News and more. But before all that, we have an interview with Cathy and Joe Connolly, authors of the book, If I Should Die Before My Dog. I haven't come across anything quite like this book before, so here's Kathy to tell you more about it.
2: The book is, it's, it's actually an interactive book. Once you purchase the book, you fill in all of the information about your pet, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: and it covers everything. In fact, it starts out with, my name is, and this is my picture, and this is my birthday, and I am a mix or a purebred, and my owners chose me because I was... The examples we give, are, I was the smallest, the largest, the first one out of the box. Yeah, uh, starts right from their, you know, from their the time you get them, and it goes through their medical history, whether they have microchips, how they were trained, their grooming, how how do you give them a bath? Do you take them to the groomer? And if you take them to a groomer, you list your groomer's name, their phone number. The same with your vet. Under the microchip information, you put in their microchip number. What companies, such as Home Again, that it's listed with? Uh, the American Kennel Club also has um, a Home Again system for microchips. Uh, it covers how they were trained things that scare them, how they get along with other people, pets, children, um, what things say, for instance, uh, they're afraid of children and there's a space to describe what incident happened and why. Yeah, yeah.
3: And and
2: so you have the opportunity to fill out all that information.
4: It had it's your dog's life story. You know, yeah. In case not necessarily die, but I mean, I don't know. Where where we are, there's a lot of people in the last few years because of the big crash or whatever, losing their homes and giving their dogs up to shelters. And we, we really hope the book goes with the dog to the shelter if they're going to have to do that. You know, people are homeless. and You know, got really bad, but. That way, if somebody adopts the dog, at least they'll know the history of this poor animal. Yeah. yeah.
2: And make it so much easier for the shelters and the rescue workers to find the perfect forever home for these animals.
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, it, it's just, for that, For well, for both instances, if, if you know, if you become incapacitated or um, you die or you have to give them up for whatever reason mm. to a shelter. This, their book goes with them. Each dog has their own book. And so that their next caregiver knows everything about them, what they like to eat, you know, their snacks, uh, what kind of dog food they eat, um, you know, the medications they need, any health problems they have. What's yeah. their favorite
4: toy?
3: Oh. How
2: they like. To play. Yeah. It's it.
4: They tried to cover everything. It it's not a very large book, but it sounds like that. But it's 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 actually for the person who who has this dog child to uh, to explain everything about them. You know, just to, yeah to give to give that dog a future if. if something that happens.
2: Because dogs don't speak. Yeah. And, and that that was the main, one of the wonderful things about the book. It gives them a voice because everything about their life, the things they love, their day-to-day routines, everything about them is written down. And so when you think about a dog going to another home and suddenly... Their parents are gone. Their human parents.
3: Mm.
2: Their lives are... I think some people don't think dogs feel sadness. But if you've owned and had more than one dog at a time, for instance, and one of those dogs passes away for whatever reason, we've seen it because we've always had two dogs at least.
3: Mm.
2: You see the sadness in their eyes and the fact that they don't understand what's happened. They don't understand where their parents went, mm. and as, when Joe came up with the idea for the book, both of my parents had passed away within eight months of each other,
3: mm.
4: and d-
2: during the time that my father was in the hospital...
4: He was the second one. He
2: was the second one. I was, my brother and I were so concerned because we He was over 150 miles away, and so, therefore, we had to stay at the hospital, and so, you know, this person's coming in to take care of mandy, their little 12-year-old Pomeranian, a very tiny little Pomeranian, and after having just lost my mom, mm. and just a few months before my mother passed, they had lost. Another Pomeranian that they had, so she lost her mother and, and you know, mm-hmm. her brother dog Bear, and then my father's
4: gone, and... Well, her father's last words were, take care of my baby dog. Right.
2: Aww. Yeah.
4: And so we were... And that forced, gave me the idea. Right. Like, mm-hmm. Man, very fortunate... None in, of us knew much about the dog. Right.
0: Nice. Mm, mm. It's it's a very emotional subject, and it's it's something we shy away from. We we're very bad as as a species as you know confronting our own mortality and thinking you know making arrangements. Um, but it's something we all should do. One of the things I love about the book is it's very comprehensive. It, it's a mix of the practical information. And the sort of the pastoral care. And when you think about, you know, it's something I've thought about, you know, and, and I'm very lucky my mother would, would step in and, and look after ours and she knows them well. But you do think it's those little things like, will she know he likes to be rubbed behind the ear or likes to be scratched on the hip? It's that kind of detail that you've got. Yes. 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 And, and that's and
2: why. And, and yeah. yeah. Because even people, when you think about it, even the people who, just like you just said, your mother, even the people who you visit frequently and know your pet well, exactly like you just said, they don't know that this particular pet likes to be scratched on the hip. Yeah. Or when you play, this is her favorite toy, and this is where she likes it, and she likes her bed here. And she gets snacks at this time, and the snack is. And I we felt that the routine of their life would help... The transition. And ease the pain and the sadness.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because they do get used to things. And, I mean, you, you have had multiple dogs. You know, our dogs are very much individuals. The Labrador wants to be with you all the time. But the Bichon will sort of say... I need some peace and quiet. I'm going to go after the bedroom on my own, and and the next guardian needs to know that, doesn't? So it's it's usual behavior, or is it unusual?
2: Right. Exactly. And there's there's plenty of space in the book to write down. That's why there's blank pages, so that there's if you're talking about their bed, for example, mm. and. There's there's plenty of room for you to write. Like our little one, she has several beds.
4: There's the most room you're in. <laughs>
2: and what time of the day it is. <laughs> so it's you know it's it's like you say those those little routines that if like for instance your Bichon, when she leaves the room and goes off by herself. If you weren't there, the people would say, "Oh, she's upset or scared." Or, but you know, that's part of a routine. She just wants to go someplace quiet, yeah, to get a good rest.
3: Yeah.
2: So it it's those things that that we thought would help really ease the the transition. Yeah. And I think maybe just, for instance, a nickname. Yes. Yeah. Like ours they have many, many nicknames, <laughs> and I think that just even using those nicknames give, would give them comfort.
0: Something yeah. Familiar. Something familiar. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you you mentioned sort of everyone's feeling the financial pinch at the moment. Something that's come up over here is um, Battersea Dogs and Cats Home are having increasing numbers of dogs handed into them because of family break up. You know, and the more information you can pass on, surely the better chance that dog has got of, of you know, finding a next a home and being happy in that home. So it really is an incredibly useful book, isn't it?
2: Oh, yes.
4: Yes. We think so. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, a, a dog that always went in a boat with his owner, if you might call them an owner, their, their parents, mm. um, in a boat, went fishing or whatever, uh, then he you, you would want a fisherman to adopt that dog. Right. Uh, if he loves it like a lab that we were thinking of.
2: Yeah, Bob, in the preface of the book, we brought up a dog named, a black lab named Bob.
3: Hmm.
2: And Bob's story was, Mandy was very lucky. Bob um, lived here in northern Michigan with his father, who was only 56 years old, hmm. and Bob was six, and they hunted and fished and hiked all over northern Michigan, and they lived in a cabin together. And Bob's dad had a fatal heart attack, and no one in the family wanted him, and yeah. he ended up in the sh- in the sh- in the local shelter, mm-hmm. and.
4: If Bobby had the book it would help and the right person would he Kathy's crying right yeah. now. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh uh-huh. Yeah. But if the right if the right person adopted Bob, he would adapt much better, trans his transition would be much better. Yeah. And you know, yeah. a similar person,
3: and,
0: yeah. It I mean it is an incredibly it's emotional, you know, when any dog has to find a new home. And you know, we're dealing with difficult um, circumstances. Um it's, it did, did Bob find a a happy home in the end or We
2: you know we we didn't we didn't chat Julie. Yeah. Yeah. If, you know, if if we could have if we had more room, we would have gone and got Bob, you know, mm. but it's just heartbreaking that because for us.
4: Well, he did get adopted because our 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 neighbor across the road from us works at that shelter, and, and she said that he did get a pretty good home. So. Oh, I did. Mm-hmm. I didn't. Know. When I talked to her at the mailbox, <laughs> yeah,
2: I didn't want. You know, I didn't want to hear anything more about it. I'm just heartbroken.
3: Yeah. It's
2: yeah. Yeah. We here, we have two really, really close friends that work at the shelter. And, you know, we I've been there when people have brought in, say, a 12-year-old dog. Mm. And for no other reason than the dog is getting old. Oh. She's blind. Well, you know, my, my feeling on that is, well... If you went blind, would you want us to throw you away?
3: Yeah,
2: yeah. You know, and in in cases like that, a dog like that, it's if they had that, if they had this book, because our shelters here really try, they're no kill shelters.
3: Mm. And
2: so, really try hard for a long time, you know, to find these poor animals' homes. And it's it's just heartbreaking that. People don't realize when you get a dog or a cat or a bird, it is a lifetime commitment.
3: Mm. Yeah.
0: And they, they give us so much support, you know, when they're well, when they're young, when they're, you know, full of life. When they need the support is just when we need to be there for them most, isn't it?
2: Yes, mm. exactly.
3: Mm. And
2: it, it's hard And I'm sure you've had dogs for many, many years, as we have. It's hard. Everybody knows that it's extremely hard, as it is with people. Yeah. You know, we're all going to get old, and we all will need someone to care for us and love us. Mm. And that's why with with the book, there's a good section for their health care. Yes. And what... They have and allergies
4: and yeah. You would have to add to the book through the years because of you know things arise. Mm. But, but we we've, we've done. That's not to change the subject totally, but we have, we do. Uh, we're not wealthy people and we do charity work in the sense that we are uh, what do they call all oh, pet angels. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like. Speaking of the economy, I mean, we don't have much, really. We don't. I mean, we wrote a book, everybody thinks we're rich all of a sudden, but we are not. <laughs> and but we do pay for dog surgeries of dogs we don't even know
3: and people we is don't present. know,
4: and we do it anonymously. And and uh, we also do charity work with our humane societies. I don't know if you are familiar with them over there or not, mm. but uh, which is. They are, you know, dog rescue people also. And we they sell our book, but we give them a, a large discount, so they make the profit to keep those shelters going. And we don't make the profit on that one. And, you know, we, we're willing to do a lot of things. We, we actually care about the animals. We do have a cat book also, but we haven't published it yet. We haven't copyrighted. But you know we can't afford to publish
3: it
0: yet because we are not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. our d- need care too. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um. I mean, I did read. I, I've read your reviews on Amazon, and you've got some fantastic reviews. And there was there was um, a a pet shop owner who sort of said how much he liked the the dog book, and that he hoped it was going to be the start of a series. Yeah, she
2: she. She really loved the book. We do have some wonderful, wonderful reviews on Amazon, um, Goodreads, and Barnes and & Noble, and we're, we're very proud of those, very, very proud of those. We've done um, a couple of book tours with uh, Sharon Martin at Beck Valley book, Books it, the, over there in the U.K., hmm. and she just did a fantastic job. And we're, we're very proud of the book and with, as Joe was saying, the, um, the help that it gives to, to rescues with what we do is we set up a discount code with, through our publisher's website, and they don't even have to stock the book. All they do, if it's an online store, they just add the book and the information to their online store. When the customer orders the book, the uh, rescue goes to that website, types it in, puts in the address, and the customer pays the shipping, and that's all there is to it. They do not even have to stock the book, and that's that's working out very, very well for some of the uh, animal rescues here in the U.S., mm-hmm. and it's just simply a special code that we have for all of the animal rescues that want to sell the book. They can stock it if they, you know, if they have um, a, store. a store. But this works out really well for them because they don't have to pay put any money up to carry the book and they get a they get really good profits from the sales from the book which we are very happy about because knowing that you know for each time that book sells they get a good profit mm. that is going to really help keep them going with donations
0: yeah yeah that that's fantastic because you're making a difference to to the you know potentially to to that dog's life the, of the the person who's bought the book but also you're contributing to rescue that that's really great this isn't just a book i mean let's let's make the the point explicitly this isn't just a book for older people who who you know well, might be thinking oh i oh, need to play. this is for oh, every dog owner isn't it every dog owner and the important another uh, point
2: there is that most of us are going to outlive our pets. And if you... You never know. Then there could be
4: an auto accident or... Right. mm mm-hmm.
2: Suddenly, you know, you, none of us know from day to day how long we're going to live. And so it truly is for every, every dog. And um, the fact that it's, If you outlive your dog, which is most likely to happen, if you are a true, true dog parent and you really love your dogs, it becomes a wonderful, wonderful keepsake of the life that you shared with them. I know um, from one of my first dogs, I still have her collars, I still have her dog tags, and I still have her ashes. We had her cremated
3: yeah
2: and i and I even have a paw print Oh. <laughs> <Aww.
3: laughs>
2: you know, so i mean if if you outlive your dog, which usually happens, it becomes a fantastic keepsake to go through and look at the the life that you shared together,
0: yeah. That's a great point. Actually, it is. It's, it, it's sort of, because the, all the information that you put in, and, and I've, when I was looking through it, I was thinking, gosh, you must shed a tear or two as you're going through this, you know, as you think back to why you chose the, the dog in the first place and, you know, the memories you've built together and, you know, any health problems they've had. It must, you know, that it, it is an emotional process. But as you say, you do end up with a record of, of the dog. Yes. I, I mean, like for, uh, after we
2: published the book, course we got ours and filled ours out for our kids and it's emotional filling out the book and ours are still with us yes but you look back at their puppy times or when you got them or what you went through to teach them to come (laughs) you know it makes you think about all the wonderful things that have already happened in the life that you've had with them Mm. and now that we have their books filled out um, when they're gone we'll have we'll have an even better keepsake because as time goes by, you forget the little things, yes about them, you know, yeah, and if you filled out that book with great detail, which I did um it's it'll be wonderful to just go through the book, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and have it-, it will be sad, but it'll also. Bring back good memories of the time that you had with
0: them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's it's a lovely book, and and it's it's a it's a smashing idea. I I, I do really like it, and obviously the feedback that you're getting is fantastic. Because as I say, the the reviews are wonderful. Um, where can people find out more about you online? Uh, we
2: have a website,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and. It is If I Should Die Before My test dot
0: com. It's been delightful to talk to you. Thank you for writing the book, because I do think it will help a lot of dogs um, and a lot of owners, as we've discussed. So I, I really like it. And the best of luck with the rest of the series. Oh,
2: thank you so much, Julie, for having
0: us. They're lovely people. And I think that's a fantastic idea, which would be so useful for every single dog owner to do. We have links on the Dogcast Radio site where you can find out more about Kathy and Joe and their book via their website and their Twitter and Facebook pages. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. Remember, never leave your dog in a car in warm or hot weather. Just 22 degrees centigrade, that's 72 degrees Fahrenheit, outside, and the temperature inside a car can soar to 47 degrees centigrade, which is 117 degrees Fahrenheit, within 60 minutes.
5: Hello and welcome to the Dogcast Radio News Desk. I'm Nick.
6: And I'm Kate. Could canine-controlled kennels be a reality? Poor-controlled central heating... Bark-activated privacy screens and snout-operated doors could become standard features in the rescue kennel of the future, as Dogs Trust, the UK's largest dog welfare charity, funds new research into the feasibility of canine-operated smart kennels. Dogs Trust is awarding £14,700 for the research project entitled Towards the Smart Kennel, a requirements elicitation study for a smart environment to support good canine welfare in Kennels. The innovative project is the idea of doctor Clara Mancini, head of the Animal Computer Interaction Laboratory at the Open University. Her study will take place at Dogs Trust Rehoming Centre in Loughborough over a six month period, although any new technology resulting from the study won't be put in place for some time after the research is completed. Dr Mancini and her team will ascertain whether the introduction of canine-triggered smart technology will help the rescue dog's behaviour, mood and ways of handling stress, all of which will help the pooches eventually find new homes. Dr Mancini is keen to stress the importance of the end user, i.e. the dogs, being part of the design process. She will be focusing on giving the dogs control over key aspects of their lives in the kennels, including temperature control, privacy, food control, lighting and access to exercise areas. The Dogs Trust is funding the research because it cares for over 16,000 stray and unwanted dogs per year at its 19 rehoming centres. The charity is keen to find out whether its kennels can actually contribute to the dog's mental health, besides simply functioning as enclosures. We think this research sounds fascinating and we can't wait to hear the results.
5: Over the last few weeks, tennis fans around the world have been watching Wimbledon and there was huge excitement in the UK when Brit Laura Robson became the first British woman to make it through to the fourth round of Wimbledon in 15 years. However, Laura put her dog's needs above her Grand Slam dreams and told her mother to stay at home in Greece where she was looking after the family's Labradors, Ella and Kiri. Meanwhile, world number one tennis star and dog lover Novak Djokovic was helping to get a home for a Dogs Trust resident. The former Wimbledon champion and his girlfriend Helena Ristik, along with their poodle Pierre, took a short break from the courts to meet one-year-old Honey from rescue charity Dogs Trust and to help her in her quest to find a new home. Novak and Helena renamed the golden doodle Bella, meaning white in their native serbian and began a heartfelt international appeal to their millions of facebook and twitter followers to help find the playful pooch the loving home she deserves the charity was soon inundated with offers from dog lovers hoping to rehome bella and within just a few days she found her perfect match with a local tennis mad family so game set and match
6: did you know that the new guinea singing dog is known as the rarest dog in the world Well, an intrepid team is planning to set off to find it. There have been only two photographs taken of the species in the wild, and every expedition has failed to find them so far as they are shy and intelligent. The hope is that the researchers will be able to capture a New Guinea singing dog to use in breeding programs of captive stock to widen their gene pool. James McIntyre, a field zoologist and director of the Southwest Pacific Research Foundation, will be leading the team, and considers it vital to investigate and preserve the wild population of New Guinea singing dogs, as they exhibit many unique behaviours found nowhere else in any other breeds of dogs, and are considered to be the link between wolves and today's domestic breeds.
5: And we finish with a couple of dogs who are using their sensitive noses to help humans in very different ways. Yasmin Tornball from Malvern, England, has a severe nut allergy, which means she can go into anaphylactic shock just from the smell of nuts. The wonderful charity Medical Detection Dogs has trained Nano, a four-year-old poodle, to detect nut odour traces in both food and the environment. Nano's reassuring ability has made Yasmin's life so much easier and more relaxed, and she can't imagine life without him. And in Australia, a black labrador called Baz is assisting his owner Josh Kennett, and his role requires him to don a protective suit because he's a canine beekeeper. Well, Josh does most of the beekeeping, but Baz plays a vital role as he sniffs out a bee disease called American foulbrood. brood. It's a bacteria that kills bee larva, and thanks to Baz's detection skills, it can be treated as early as possible, thus saving countless bee lives. Maybe he should change his name from Baz to Buzz. And that's all from us on the Dogcast Radio News Desk. Goodbye.
0: According to the American Animal Hospital Association, one out of four pets would survive if just one pet first aid technique was applied prior to getting emergency veterinary care. 60% of all vet visits are emergency in nature, and statistics show that preventable accidents are the leading cause of death. ...among pre-senior dogs and cats. Knowing canine first aid could save your dog's life... ...and Kerry Rhodes is an instructor who runs training classes... ...teaching owners how to cope with various doggy emergencies... We have an interview with Kerry in episode 139 of Dogcast Radio, where she gives lots of effective and practical advice. Now she's written a book containing her invaluable knowledge, interwoven with real-life incidents, all told from the point of view of her Rhodesian Ridgeback Axel. We'll be hearing more about that in a bit. But first of all, Kerry talks about the first aid items you should have to hand. We started off discussing the items you should include in the canine first aid kit, in your car.
1: Well, a kit in the car, I mean, it's got to be small enough to transport and stick in your glove box, something like that, but also to have everything that you need in it just in case. The problem with first aid is you never know what it is that you're going to need. So you kind of need to cover all bases. The big thing with a first aid kit is that not everything in it has to be specific. You've got to be able to think outside the box and think, what can I use all these different things for? Very easy to fall into a trap of thinking that each thing has just one use, and that's not necessarily the case. Hmm. There's lots of things that you could carry. I mean, obviously, you have the bandages and dressings. They usually come in a couple of sizes, so smaller ones and larger ones. Hopefully, we don't need the larger ones, but, you know, if you do, you have them in there. And the ones that you would normally have for a, a canine kit usually have ties on the end as well. So you have the dressing part to it. Uh, that's secured to a bandage and then you can actually tie it to the dog just tie a knot with it rather
0: than having to stick it down tape it or pin it that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Carrie having having mentioned specific sort of canine items where do we buy them from? Well in a lot of cases it's it's straightforward just go and have a google of it on the internet
1: that kind of thing you could find it from there I do actually stock them myself on our website and if people want one and you know come to me for one hour, happily, you know, give them what it is that they need and they're also for on our canine first aid courses as well but they are quite a straightforward thing, it's easy to put them together yourself, it's just that if you do buy a ready packed up one, they tend to come in really flashy little pouches that have everything secured in them and actually the ones that we use also have um, a clip on the back that you can clip onto a belt loop, and so if you were doing sort of quite a, a substantial ramble, or you were away for the weekend in a tent, something like that with your dog, you can clip it to your belt as well, so you have everything with you, and it's not just left behind in the mm, car.
0: Excellent, well worth knowing. Okay, thanks. Sorry, sorry for the
1: interruption, but thank you. <laughs> it's all right. No idea what I was talking about now. Um, things in your case, yeah, mm. absolutely. So we have the the dressings that come with the ties on them as well. Then we have. Um, Things like the microporous tape, which is, is sort of a papery tape that's sticky. So you can tape any dressings down if you need to do that. Don't forget all of these things are very good for you, for your first circuit kit, for a human as well. There's nothing in here that you couldn't use on yourself. So they're really handy to have from that point of view. Mm. We also have things um, like a foil blanket. You know, the big silver ones that you see the runners wearing when they come over the marathon, the, the finish line? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're really good. They prevent hypothermia. So if your dog gets cold, you can wrap him in it. That's brilliant. But other things that you can use it for as well, things like, if you get stranded in the middle of nowhere and you need to call the air ambulance, you peg out a great big square silver target, they can find you so much easier. Mm -hmm. It reflects the sun and you stand out, not just you and your little orange kazoole in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) It's really good for that. And the other thing that you can do with it, if you need to lay a dog down if, he's, you know, if he collapses. We want to keep him off the cold floor. Laying him on the silver blanket first will you know, take him away from that cold floor and help reduce the shock sitting in.
3: Yeah, excellent.
1: Um, other things you can use it for. If it's raining, you've got an impromptu shelter there straight away that you can cover him over with. So there's lots of things. It's not just about a oh, foil blanket, that's the hypothermia. There's mm-hmm. other things as well. So what else have we got? Go swabs. We have in in here as well. And they're really good for cleaning up wounds. What are you going to clean a wound up with? Well, really, you'd need to have water available. If you've got water, that's fantastic. But the first aid kits um, that I would recommend have little saline pods in them. And saline is a salt water. So like what your body produces in your tears and in blisters, that kind of thing. And because they're single use, you have to snap the top off. You know that they're always going to be um, sterile when you use them. They won't go off absolutely fine in your first aid kit. So for things like rinsing out um, dust or a foreign body in the, in the dog's eye, if you've managed to damage it that way, or perhaps um, you've managed to get a burn, really good for squirting over the top of the burn to keep it cool and keep it moist. And then obviously just washing out a wound. So perhaps they've cut their paw on a thorn or something and you need to be able to see what damage that is that you're dealing with. The saline pods are great for rinsing those out as well. So lots of different
0: uses for everything that you carry. Is there anything else that you need in, in the kit, carry?
1: Well, I think one of the most important things, and it's a barrier protection for you and for the dog, really, is to remember that you've got to have your gloves in the first aid kit. A okay? pair of gloves not only protects you when you're dealing you know, with the dog, but it protects the dog from anything that you've got on your hands. If you've been out in the middle um, of a walk and doing goodness knows what, your hands are likely not that clean. And if you're going to be messing around, you know, with a dog's wound have mm-hmm. dirty hands, you don't know what you're going to introduce. So always get your gloves on there. Now, what you should have in your first aid kit as well is a set of tweezers. Now, people sort of think that tweezers are ooh, picking and poking and is there in the wound and digging around. Well, that's not really something we'd like to do or recommend. It's quite serious when you're picking and poking into wounds but what the tweezers actually do is allow you to open up a package or a dressing that you're going to use on the dog but then not actually touch the dressing with your dirty hands it means that you can just use the tweezers lift it out of the packaging and put it straight on the dog and you know that the dressing is sterile if you are already up to the eyes in mud and blood and various other substances and then you put the dressing on obviously you've contaminated it mm-hmm. and as much possible, we would like to keep the dressing clean and sterile when they
0: touch the animal and the wound itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It depends on your dog, doesn't it? Two two of ours are sort of they enjoy a, a walk and a ramble and they're quite um civilised, if you like. But our third one, our border collie, just crashes through any undergrowth and has no concern for sort of safety in any way. And and so goodness knows what kind of injury he could pick up. So it is a good idea to carry something like this, isn't it?
1: It is definitely. I mean I would say things like the first aid kit I've described, you know, scissors, tweezers, cleaning wipes, all of those kind of things that you would have in your first aid kit, that's great for in the car. But hand on heart, can I say that you would carry a big first aid kit when you went walking?
0: Not if it was going to sort of get in the way. And also, I'd forget, you know. Yeah. I'd,
1: yeah. I think you're absolutely right. And I think most people are in the same. But me personally, I don't even take mine either. Mine's in the glove box. But while I'm in the middle of nowhere, I can be four or five miles away from the car. The only thing that I have with me is um, the conforming bandage. The vet wrap version of it is, is what we use. And that's brilliant. It's like a stretchy, um, almost a slight rubberized texture to it. And it's very good for doing lots of different things. And because it doesn't weigh very much, I genuinely have a roll of that in my pocket all the time when we're out. And because you can use it for so many things, it covers all bases. And then when you get back to the car, you've got your first aid kit there to deal with it properly. But as an emergency stopgap, your vet wrap is absolutely brilliant. You can use it for, let's think, top of my head. Um, You come across a stray dog or you lose your own lead to use as a lead so that's really good. Mm -hmm. Um, Also if your dog sustains a strain or a sprain to one of their joints you can put a really good support bandage on it so that's fantastic. Um, Something else, if a dog cuts himself and it's bleeding quite profusely, although when you would ordinarily bandage um, a wound like that up you would use your proper bandages and your dressing and then perhaps use the vet wrap over the top to keep the bleeding under control Certainly, just as an emergency fix, it would be fine to put that vet wrap straight on the wound itself and then at least you could stop the bleeding until you manage to get back to the car safely. So there's lots of different things you can use it for. Not least, if your dog is in pain and you're trying to help him, he's likely to bite you. You can use it as a muzzle very, very easily. So you've kind of got to think outside the box a bit. In the last um, sort of three or four months, I've had three occasions where I've had to use a vet wrap myself with my tooth. Mm. And what was that for, Kerry? Uh, one of them was I was chatting to a chap on it's a very quiet road and it's, it runs right through the middle of a wood. And the chap I was talking to had a lurcher. So my um, Ridgebacks and his lurcher were circling us and sort of running across the road, through the wood, out the other side and just sort of looping us. Now, I know that sounds very dangerous when I'm saying across the road, but I think dirt track is probably yeah, yeah. the description of what it is. But as um, Rain, my youngest one, ran through the wood after the lurcher, he came back and stood by my side. And when we looked down, he was standing in a pool of blood. Now, it was actually when we'd had a lot of snow as well. So again, the white of the snow, it really stood up. It looked like Freddy Krueger had been through. But on lifting his paw up and having a good investigation of it, what it turned out that he'd done, he'd jumped through the undergrowth and caught um, his stopper pad at, at the back of his, his front leg, actually on a thorn as he'd gone through, given himself a sharp slice, right through the middle of his stopper pad, and it mm. bled like a stuck pig. It was everywhere, yeah. you know, absolutely. So with that, we were able to have a good look, see what there was, remove the thorn, put the um, vet wrap on, and then we still had another mile to walk before we got home.
5: Mm. But at
1: that time, it was enough to keep the bleeding under control, it kept the pressure on, absolutely fine and we had no problem with it and we could deal with it safely once we got back to the car and wash it out so you know that was just just one thing straight away now being a mile away from home with your
0: dog bleeding significantly from his paw what would you do Mm -hmm. and he's not you know he's such a big dog you couldn't just pick him up and carry him could you yeah well i could carry him from a a very very short distance but you know I say, we were at least
1: a mile away from the car and he weighs 40 kilograms yeah yeah no, he weighs nearly as much as I do. So to carry for that kind of distance and not to mention, obviously, the stress that that would have, because, I, you know, I don't know what you're like, but I don't go around carrying ridgebacks very often. So they don't used to being picked up either. No, So he no. actually found that quite a stressful thing, even if I could have picked him up. So being able to deal with it there and then on the spot and know that you've got it all under control, it was just so much less stressful for him and for
0: me. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's spot on, and I know exactly what you mean, because I could pick Buddy up, to sort of, you know, pick him up to put him in the car or lift him out, but he yeah. hates it, and if if a dog that size does not cooperate, there's no way he'd that, pick him up. That's it, and, you know, and the
1: place where we were, you know, it was the middle of nowhere. It's trees and branches and uneven ground and things, as well as the physical yeah. weight of it, would have been very, very difficult to do. So being able to just get on with it really helped.
3: Mm. Um, and mm.
1: Another instance that we used it for was my my older dog has quite sensitive paws for a big dog. And if we walk on um, frozen pack ice, he's fine on snow, doesn't mind that, but when it's really thick pack ice there a while, we notice he'd actually um, got a freezer burn to one of his pads.
3: And he burnt it
1: so badly, he left a little spot of blood actually on the ice, which was the reason that I'd I'd seen what had happened. Mm -hmm. And I'm having a look. Yes, it's a freezer burn. And again, they always seem to do these things about a mile away from home for some reason. (laughs) But because he had this, it was easy enough just to take the vet wrap, wrap it around his paw, make a sort of temporary booty for it. And then he just walked home on it absolutely fine. No further problems. You know, always was under control. And the thing with the vet wrap is because it has. A sort of rubberized texture to it. It means it grips to itself. It's not adhesive, but it will grip very, very strongly to itself. So once you stretch it and it gets a grip, it will stay on. So he walked for a mile quite happily and it didn't fall off. But my top tip, which I've discovered through my cost with Vetra, if you're going to buy it for use in the winter, do not buy the black stuff. Hmm. The colour is fantastic. But don't buy the black because for reasons unknown, it must be a slightly different texture because of the colouring. But when it gets cold, it doesn't stick. It won't grip to itself. Gosh. And it unravels. And it's an absolute nightmare to keep it on. Mm. So you know, by all means, the pink, the green, the orange become in
0: fantastic colours. Yes. But the black one in the winter, absolutely useless. Oh, that's worth knowing. I mean, I think I mentioned to you last time when you mentioned the, the vet tape that we, we're very familiar with it because when Buddy had um, a mast cell tumour removed from his stomach, that he had to remove so much flesh that the wound swelled up. And, that, and apparently that is a quite a usual and, and yeah. it happening and it often happens. Um and no bandage would stay on him. No ordinary bandage would stay on him. And they tracked all kinds of things. Um, but apparently he's made of Teflon. And the only thing that would work was was the VET tape. So we went through that many colours of, of VET tape. <laughs> Bless him. He, it's a good job he didn't know because he was wrapped up in pink and orange and blue and all kinds of well, things. Well, I must admit, one of our, one of our
1: publicity shots um, that a photographer took while we're in the middle of one of our courses, unfortunately, Axel is sporting a pink bandage. Hmm. And I'm sure the embarrassment factor of that is he's not impressed with me
0: at all. Big, strong boy like him in a pink bandage. He's yes. not happy. <laughs> it's, it's a good job they don't see colour that much. And you can say, no, 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 it's navy, mate. It's navy. <laughs> like to admit, obviously from day one. Um, but <laughs> the thing with the vet rat as well. Brilliant for kids because
1: they're wriggly little devils as well. Hmm. So you can use it on your kids. Absolutely fantastic. A lot better than a lot of bandages. You're getting um, a human first aid kit, to be absolutely fair. The main thing to remember is when you're using it, you, it because it has um, a stretchy component to it, and that's what helps it to grip, you must be aware that you don't put it on too tightly. And mm. every wrap that you put on gets tighter than the one before. So you have to just be aware of that. If you don't want to put it too tight and end up stopping the circulation, getting through to the limb beyond bandage so you do have to be very careful with how much pressure you use when you
0: put it on yeah so don't pull it too that's t- right it's it too taut, taut right. as you, yeah 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 it, it's stuff that's well worth knowing and it's and and as you say i wouldn't have thought of the different ways of using all those items that's well yeah. worth knowing
1: yeah there are i think that's the main thing because it doesn't look on at first glance that there are that many things in your first aid kit i mean just looking through my list now We have one, two, three, four, five, six. We have about 12 things in there. And that doesn't sound like very many. But because you can use them for different things, you know, that's that's the main thing about it. And I would always say if you do get yourself a first aid kit, have a look inside it and familiarize yourself with what everything is. Because what you imagine the particular product to look like, sometimes because of the way it's packaged, it throws you off a little bit. So it's a really good idea. Get your first aid kit, spread it all out on the floor, have a good look and see what all the different things are and what you can use them for. Mm. Uh, And Obviously, with mine, because I have um, a list that came with it when it was purchased, I actually cut the list off and I use that as my content sheet so I know exactly what's in there at any time. And if you take something out, make sure you cross it off the list. You don't want to waste your time in an emergency situation looking for something that you think is there only to find out that one of your family members used it a couple of months ago and
0: didn't put it back in yeah yeah so keep track of what you've got um i know that you sort of travel a lot and you, and you do courses for people about um, well about people human and canine first aid, yeah. don't you um so if people keep an eye out um they may well get onto one of your courses but for anybody that can't travel to a course you do have a book out don't you i do
1: it's Um, available on download and actually now on hard copy as well. And we're very proud to say that yesterday we sold our 60th copy.
3: Well We're
1: we're quite pleased with that, yeah. The book is called Roads to Recovery, style. and yes, I know that sounds a bit cheeky, but it does help people remember what the name of the book is. It's it's written... As if by Axel, actually, in his words, as he's doing all the talking. But don't think for a minute that I've done it in silly doggy words. It's all in proper English and everything. Yes. But what it is, um, it's a fun sort of entertaining collection of stories. Things that have actually happened to me with my dogs all over the the 30 years that I've had dogs for. Um, But it's fun and it's lighthearted and it tells you exactly what the situation was and what the first aid um, techniques that we had to employ in that situation was, so that people are learning what to do at the same time as actually being entertained. So you get to the end of the story, and actually you've you've learned exactly how to tackle it without realising that you have. But at the end of each chapter, I also have a very straightforward ABC sort of bullet point explanation of what you should do in an emergency situation if your dog um, cuts its leg you go straight to the section on bleeding and it tells you specifically what you do sit the dog down elevate the injury examine it properly and apply pressure to stop the bleeding everything is very straightforward so you don't you don't have to wade through a load of
0: stories to get the information that you need it's all there bang 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 straightforward for you Mm. but that's actually a very clever way of presenting it because if i'm told information in a list you know i'll go oh what was the next step i can't remember i can't remember whereas if i read a story you know, that will sink into my brain better. And I'll think, I'll, having read it, I'll go, oh, this happened to Kerry and she did, you know, X, Y, Z. I know what I have to do. So yeah. there's, there's different ways for people to remember that information.
1: Yeah, I do think so. Not everybody, um, as, as a teacher, so you, you go to college and university and, and they, they actually tell you that people have what they call different learning styles. So some people like to see things in picture format. Other people like to hear it. Other people like to read it or read it sort of envisage the story for themselves that helps them remember and that's kind of what the book was. there's lots of different techniques in there to help you remember it because what usually happens in an emergency situation the first thing you do is panic and go absolutely blank and can't remember anything yeah. well at least if you've got something to tie it to so things like for the bleeding you know we always go with a checklist which is SEEP and now if you can remember SEEP S-E-E-P mm. it guides yeah. you through what to do sit, elevate, examine, pressure so we use lots of little mnemonics like that in the book as a way to help people remember it. And then as I have to say there are the stories as well, so, you know, things like um, we cover snake bites in there, which actually wasn't a problem that we'd had. It was a student of mine that told me about what had happened to her. when she was out in the middle of the moors, um, quite away from the car, and she had a border collie and it got bitten by a snake, and actually it was an adder, so it was very serious, and you know mm-hmm. what she did, how she dealt with it, and what the outcome was, so all are <laughs> there, and we do all the usual things, like how to do CPR, artificial respiration, shock, those kind of things, but then as I say, there are stories, like the day um, my Labrador decided it would be a good idea to pull all the chocolate baubles off the Christmas tree <clears> when I was 13, <throat> and try to poison himself with them. Yeah. that kind of thing so that they're kind of amusing with a serious twist on them as well so hopefully you know they'll stick and and people will find it useful
0: great and we're going to have an extract aren't we in, in later in the show so we're going to have an extract of the book so that people can hear um exactly how good it is and it, and it is a lovely extract so thank you for that carrie you've given us a lot of information there and it's brilliant if people want to come and have a look at your website um can you give us that so they can come and find more information yeah
1: absolutely it's www.roads as in my company name which is R H O D E S hyphen then the number 2 hyphen safety.co.uk
0: All the relevant links are on the dogcast radio site and Kerry's book has now sold 120 copies and to give you a taste of it I'm going to read an extract The book is called Roads to Recovery Doggy Style And it's not your average first-aid book, which I think makes its advice memorable. As Kerry mentions, it's fun, factual and written from Axel the Rhodesian Ridgeback's point of view, with lots of witty stories about his various scrapes and adventures over the years, including the way each one was dealt with. So here's the extract. When Amber was 12 years and nine days old, she finally left the short person's side for the last time. And when she did, she broke her heart. I missed her too, but the short person was devastated. I'd rest my big head on her lap as the raw emotion spilled down her cheeks. I nuzzled her soothingly and rubbed my ears against her salty tears to soak them up. But no matter what I did, she couldn't get Amber out of her mind. I know nothing will ever take Amber's place in her memory, but I like to think I softened the blow a bit having me around meant that she still had to get out into the fresh air for exercise and to take me for my walks it was on one of our walks alone together that i really managed to take her mind off things and distract her not entirely how i would have planned it but it certainly gave her something else to think about we were walking in a new place the country park which is an enormous wood and country park directly in the shadow of the humber bridge she wanted to walk somewhere different somewhere she wouldn't be reminded of amber at every tree, and somewhere we could make some new memories of our own. We'd been out about an hour or so, investigating this, investigating that, when out of my eye corner, I saw a grey squirrel. Now, those little guys just need chasing. It's the rules. And before she could even pick up her whistle, I was off in a red wheaten flash through the woodland. And I very nearly had him too. His bushy tail swished agonisingly close just two or three inches from my front teeth as he bolted up a tree dang that was close as i stopped at the base of the thick trunk i felt a sharp searing sensation through my front leg and i screamed out in pain and surprise i turned back and limped towards the short person waving my front leg around in front of me to show her my poorly Now, while I am certainly not suggesting that I am a wimp, you understand, I am known for being a little bit of a drama queen. So even though my cries were piercing, she wasn't initially all that worried. Not at least until she had the opportunity to see what I'd done. Remember when I explained to you what the proper definition of amputation is? Well, you may wonder exactly how I know, and it's simply this. "'As I had come to a sudden stop at the base of the tree in hot pursuit of that pesky squirrel, "'I had inadvertently put my foot down on a broken bottle, "'the sharp edge of which had sliced into the stopper pad on my wrist "'and virtually amputated the whole thing. "'When the short person picked up my leg, "'my stopper pad just flopped about in the breeze, "'attached only by the tiniest sliver of skin at the top. "'Yep, that took her mind off losing Amber, all right.' Oh, it bled. It bled a lot. The short person hadn't intended going for a walk that morning and found herself at the country park quite by chance. And alas, because of her spur-of-the-moment decision, she didn't have her trusty vet wrap with her, so she folded the flapping stopper pad back in place and began unbuttoning her shirt to use it as a bandage. Luckily, she had a T-shirt under her blouse, so she was able to strip off without looking like a flasher in the woods. But before she'd even finished with the buttons, that cheeky Mr. Squirrel had the temerity to come down the tree and run right by me again. Can you believe the nerve? So I chased him. Well, what was any self-respecting hand to do? I completely forgot about my blood-soaked leg and sprinted off again through the undergrowth until I finally lost sight of him. Obviously, had I not been so severely incapacitated, I would have caught him. But sadly, with only three and a half legs at my disposal, that varmint escaped. It was about this time that it occurred to me that the short person was not going to be best pleased with my latest hunting spree, and certainly I have seen her face look a whole lot more cheery than it did when I got back to her again. I can't remember exactly what she said, but there was quite a bit of screeching, muttering, and an awful lot of words that were new to me. This time she made sure she was able to deal with the wounded pad before I tried chasing any more wildlife. She carefully flapped the pad back down and applied a makeshift dressing using her blouse. She wrapped it over the top of the limb, securing the throbbing stopper pad back in place. As any good first aider knows, having your vet's emergency number in your phone is a must. And this was one of those days when I was glad that she did. She telephoned ahead and explained what I'd done. I have to say I am a little hurt that they weren't more surprised to hear I'd damaged myself, but I guess that's what happens when you get a reputation for being a little unlucky. We walked back to the car. Well, she walked, I limped. And by now, the blouse dressing was hanging off, trailing in the leaves and soaked in blood. She removed it and carefully applied a wound dressing from the first aid kit and vet wrap over the top of it to act as a pressure bandage. "'She didn't waste time in trying to clean the wound, "'since it was such a sharp slice and was bleeding so heavily. "'I have to say I was pretty glad about it, to be honest. "'I know she was trying to help, but boy, did it hurt. "'And if it had been anybody else but the short person, "'I think I may well have considered giving her a bit of a nip. "'Our supervet was not at the surgery when the short person rang, "'but by the time we got there, "'he'd arrived and was waiting to whiz me into theatre. "'It took eight weeks and a whole lot of visits "'for check-ups and fresh dressings.' Each time I needed a pee, I had to remember to approach the tree or lamppost from the right side so that when I cocked my leg, I didn't fall over. And that was an extract from Kerry Rhodes' book, *Roads to Recovery Doggy Style. Even small quantities of grapes or raisins can cause renal failure in dogs. Chocolate, macadamia nuts, cooked onions or anything with caffeine can also be harmful. We spent last weekend with lots of other pet lovers at the pet show where doggy dancing duo Britain's Got Talent winners Ashley and Pudsey opened the show as well as entertaining the crowds with some canine freestyle and doing a book signing. We stayed on site on the campsite and there was a lovely atmosphere there. After watching Ashley and Pudsey and hearing the message of positive gentle training methods for dogs from Gwen Bailey among others, Everyone seemed inspired, and all around us, people were having an impromptu go at heel work to music, agility, and more. I watched one youngster patiently trying to coax her Springer Spaniel into spins, twists, jumps, and to run in a figure of eight around her legs. The bond between them was evident and very moving. The little girl and her dog spent at least an hour playing and practising, and the best part was that the girl never once lost her patience, using lots of treats and praise to encourage her dog. And for me, that's what events and shows like that are all about. They're a celebration of the way our dogs enhance our lives in countless ways, and they should inspire us to get off the couch and have some fun with our dogs. We may not all be able to achieve the stunning routines of Ashley and Pudsey, but we can aspire to have the deepest and most positive relationship with our dog that we possibly can. You can hear the interviews we got at the Pet Show, including finding out from Ashley about the movie she and Pudsey are about to film in next month's show. So till next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. at dogcastradio.com. When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our program. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com. And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny.
6: What type of markets do dogs avoid? Flea market.